Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. I'm really happy to be here and really excited to talk to our guest today, Debbie Olson. Uh, She's the co-author of the book 200 Nature Hotspots in Alberta by Firefly Books. Um, I was lucky I was given a pre-release copy so I could take a look at it and it's like a visually stunning book. Like It has so much information and really, really beautiful images. So I'm I'm excited to talk about it. Um, Debbie's also the a longtime Calgary Herald columnist, and she's the managing editor of the Wonder Woman Travel Magazine, which is a popular travel blog. So welcome, Debbie. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, it's going to be fun to talk about all these amazing places in Alberta. So um, why don't you start by telling us a bit about the book? Okay, well, um, it's actually a second edition. I wrote it with, uh, co-wrote it with Lee McAdam, who's, uh, I believe you've had her on the podcast before, and she's... Yeah, yeah, Richard talked with her on the podcast a little while ago. So yes, we met her. She's she's wonderful. So um, and quite an adventure. So we we co-wrote the first edition, which was 125 nature hotspots in Alberta. And this is actually the second edition of the book for us, which we brought up to 200 nature hotspots in Alberta. And that's not just because the nature hotspots are growing, but probably I'm guessing because you're finding more of them. Oh, absolutely. Even at 200 nature hotspots in Alberta, there it's just a fraction of what is actually out there that people can enjoy. And it was hard. You know, even the first time it was hard narrowing it down to 125. And this time we had to narrow it down to 200. So I, if there's a third edition, we won't have a problem. Oh, that's that's fun, isn't it? So um, why did the two of you decide to write the book? Like even the first edition, how did you end up writing this book? Actually, it was Firefly who contacted us. They had published a book called 100 Nature Hotspots in Ontario, and it was a Globe and Mail bestseller. It did really well. And I guess the team at Firefly thought about it, and they thought about how awesome Alberta is, and asked us if we'd be willing to write a book about Alberta and its nature hotspots. And since, you know, Ontario's was called 100 nature hotspots in Ontario, well, obviously, we were going to have more. Yeah, obviously. And now you're at 200. So you're double that province, aren't you? Yes, not that it's a competition between the East and the West. (laughs) No, (laughs) no. No, that's true. I mean, this is a pretty extensive book, and I was really impressed with all the different sections that you've included and um, all the different ways of exploring nature in Alberta. Um, And I was thinking, wow, like, it must have taken a lot of work to put that all together. It did. Um, Between the two of us, we visited every single major hotspot that's included. And 
one of the things that we did different in this differently in this book than they did in the Ontario book was we decided to include a section called special interest, which was about the ways that we connect with nature, things like paddling or hiking trails or, you know, we've got all sorts of different categories included in our special interest section. And we thought it'd be nice to have a section where people could go, okay, I feel like going on a really great backpacking trip. What are some of the top backpacking trips in Alberta? Or, wow, I'd really like to do a paddling trip. Where are the best places that I could take my canoe and have an experience? And um, so that's that's what's unique about our book as compared to the one that was previously produced. Yeah, actually, I love that part about the book because I was noticing also you had a lot of like um, winter activities, you know, ice walks and snowshoeing and you had family walks and and you even had a section on um, people who weren't as mobile, what they could see and do. I-, I thought that was a really cool way of thinking about things. Thank you. Yeah, we feel that nature should be accessible to every person in Canada. And um, we wanted to highlight the places where people who have a disability could um, go for a walk or a place like William Watson Lodge that's in Kananaskis that is specially designed for people who have disabilities and has wonderful trails, wonderful accommodations, and at a reasonable price that, you know, people can go and enjoy. So um, that was important to us. We also thought in highlighting that it was important for people who have young children who might need to take them on in a stroller and where could they go for an amazing nature experience, but still be able to take a wheelchair or a stroller? And so that's that's why that was included in the book. Yeah, actually, I, I think that's really, uh, you know, fantastic because I think nature is so therapeutic um, and a lot of it's free too, you know, and so to make it available or make the information to make it available, you know, easy to find. I I think that was a really great idea you two had. Thank you. Yeah. I have a, I have a friend who has uh, just become, she's very young, but has just become wheelchair bound due to um, a disease that she has just uh, acquired. And so I thought about her as we were, writing the book and that was one of the reasons we included it and when I ran into her husband and he I was talking we were just talking about what we were up to and I told him about the second edition and I told him that we were including this he said how difficult it had been to find this kind of information so we wanted to make sure that our book included everybody so Fantastic. It seems like it took a lot of research. So how long do you think that took you to try out 200 plus nature hotspots? Well, I would say it's a lifetime of research. I mean, some of the sites we had visited on previous trips were both very outdoorsy and you know, that's, that's a passion for both Lee and I. So we've, we've both spent a lifetime exploring these, but yet, despite that, there were places that I hadn't been before and places that she hadn't been before that we included in our book. So on both, 
on both editions of the book, we were out exploring. And sometimes, you know, we got recommendations from Alberta parks, from uh, the national parks, from different organizations as to what they thought were the top hotspots in Alberta. And then we, we made our list and included some places we hadn't been before. And sometimes we would go out and we would visit the place. And most of the time we'd be in agreement that, yeah, this one is worthy. But there were times when you'd visit a place and you'd decide, no, this one is just too inaccessible. It's too difficult for most people to reach. Or, you know, there might have been other reasons why we decided, no, we aren't going to include this one. You know, so I think it was really important that we visit all these places and make sure that they were places that were going to be worthy of the book and also accessible to those that read it. And even the ones that were slightly less accessible that we could provide details on what you need to know to get to this particular place successfully. Now, I understand there was an incident while you were doing research with a number of flat tires. (laughs) I swear it's a thing with me in this book. The first time for the first edition, I was down researching a somewhat remote nature hotspot in southern Alberta. And it was near McGrath and my cousin lives in McGrath. And so she suggested that I bring my my aunt along on, on the trip. And uh, my aunt is, has mobility challenges, but not a big deal. I thought that, oh, that's, that sounds fine. We'll, we'll have a great time. We'll drive to this place. It'll be good. Well, we got lost on the way. Then we ended up on this back road, a gravel road in the middle of nowhere and got a flat tire and it was really hot. And in theory, I know how to change a tire, but I've never actually done it. And I mean, that's why I have CAA. I can call them to come to deal with these things. But I, I mean, at this place, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I don't even know how to tell them or describe to them where I'm at. In the meantime, it's very hot. It's July. And I've got my aunt in the car who's a mobility challenge. So I was feeling quite a bit of stress. Then all of a sudden a farmer came by uh, and I flagged him down and he was so gracious. His name was Ted Mandel and he got down. He was on the ground changing my tire, had to crawl underneath my vehicle, do all this. And then once the tire, the spare tire was on, he said, you know, I think it's a little low. Follow me back to my farm. So I, we followed him back to his farm. He put air in the tire and then... I don't know. I turned to my aunt and I said, uh, do you think we should still try to go to this place? And she said, let's do it. So off we went and we found it a few minutes later. It was a little tricky to find, but uh, yeah, I'm ever grateful to Ted Mandel on the first book for changing my flat tire for me. And in the first edition, it's why there's a whole paragraph devoted to him in the acknowledgments. Sweet. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that because just last night we were sitting around the family dinner table. It was a big family and we were all mentioning, you know, I don't know how to change a tire. Like I've never actually ha- had to do it. Like, And the only time I had to change a tire was when I was in the city and I called CAA. <laughs> That's the only time I've had a flat. So I can imagine that would be pretty stressful. 
No, and it made it worse that I had my elderly aunt in the vehicle. Yes, in the heat, too. It turned out well. And it turned out when I was researching the second edition of the book, I got another flat tire. Well, and if you want to be technical about it, I got three flat tires in 24 hours. Oh, my goodness. And were you in a remote place at that time? Yes. Oh, no. So my husband came with me um, when we were researching this book, and I actually was writing two books this summer. So anyways, we um, we were out doing research for the book. We were way up past Edson um, near Cataman, the little village of Cataman, and we were trying to get to the highest. It's in another book, but the first flat tire happened on my way to the highest cemetery in Canada, which is in a ghost town. Yes. And... You know, I I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. Prior to this, you know, the start of this season, when we were changing our winter tires to our summer ones, I said, I think we should buy new tires for this vehicle. And he said, but of course he said, no, these are good for another season. And I said, well, you know, we're going to be going on some remote roads with no cell cell phone signal. You know, while we're researching this book, I really think we should get new tires. And he was just adamant that, no, we didn't need new tires. So sure enough, you know, we're on about 10 kilometers away from this place and we get a flat tire. But um, we're really lucky when we get flat tires. Uh, We pulled into Cataman, which is just a little village and has no gas station or anything. And there were these quarters there. And I just asked them if there was a place where that you could put air in a tire. And they said, pull in, we'll help you. And they actually fixed our flat tire, put more air in it, put a plug in the hole and off we went. I know. So then we decided we won't go back to this place, but we tried to get to another place for this book. And on our way there, we got another flat tire and it wasn't the same tire. <laughs> So we ended up on the edge of the highway and these two, um, these three young people, they, I swear they were in their early 20s, stopped by and they're like, do you need any help? And my husband was actually getting ready to change the tire. And he said, I work at OK Tire. I'll change it for you. When you get this book, you'll notice that there is another acknowledgement to <laughs> these three people that helped me out. And of course, I'm sending them books, you know, to say thank you for their kind assistance. It it does restore your faith in humanity when you have a little incident like that and somebody is comes to your rescue. And they did every single time that we had this problem there was somebody that said hey how can I help you and and they did they were we were so grateful for their help it's funny that you mentioned that because um you know we talked to a lot of different people doing a lot of different adventures around the world and so many times we hear stories of the kindness of strangers and it's actually really heartening to hear all those stories of people you don't know just coming to help. I remember there was a, a British guy we talked to who was biking across Canada. And he his, his first story was how, um, you know, this big truck pulls over in front of them as, as they've 
been going up a hill and he was kind of nervous and he was like, oh, like, are they going to yell at us? Have we done something wrong? But instead, people got out of the truck and handed them drinks, you know, I think a couple of beers each and said, way to go. And then they took off. So I don't know. It's always really, uh, I find it really impressive, like just what happens. And, And that's like not just an isolated one. So many people seem to experience that. It's actually really heartening, isn't it? It is. Um, Canadians are kind. And I've experienced that firsthand from the people who helped me with my flat tires. Of course, I did say to my husband, well, okay, you know, we've been married for a long time. So I know that I really shouldn't say I told you so. But (laughs) after we, the tire was fixed and we were driving away, the first flat tire on this edition, I turned to him and I said, you know, we really should have changed those tires. And he said, you just had to say it, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're allowed to. I think you're allowed to say that. I don't know. Anyway, on the second flat tire... Within 24 hours, I didn't say a word. And then when we got the third flat tire, (laughs) towed into Edson, I still didn't say anything. But uh, yeah, I did say it. I did say the I told you so thing. And now we have four brand new tires on there. Great. And and don't let him listen to this podcast. (laughs) Do not let him listen to the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, but but on the positive note, as you say, it was just, you know, one of those reaffirmations of the kindness of Canadians um, when you experience something like that and when people come to your aid. So we were grateful. Now, when I was looking at the book, we were kind of alluding to the fact that you've divided it up into different sections. And I I think the section that most people would think of when they think of nature spots in uh, Alberta would be um, the mountains, the Rocky Mountains. You know, many people, not only in Canada, but all around the world have heard of Banff and Lake Louise and maybe Jasper. So, I mean, obviously, this is a real highlight of nature. And, and, a place that I've been to over and over and over again and it's just a visually stunning area in fact it's not just visually stunning I don't know if you've ever noticed but I love hiking right around Lake Louise and I notice like when I'm hiking up to um, the Lake Agnes Tea House the forest there has a specific smell And I love it. It's like a beautiful smell. But whenever I go there and I do that hike, I'm like, oh, yeah, I love this smell. So I'm thinking about that because I said visually stunning, but not all memories are visual, too, are they? Um, But one of the interesting things that I liked in the book was there, there are lots of other areas in the Rockies that people haven't heard of or I mean some of the areas I've only just started hearing about that are also pretty spectacular and so I was wondering can you tell us a bit about that? Well certainly I I, I will say that even in Banff and Jasper where I I've written guidebooks uh, about Banff and Jasper so I was well versed in the many trails and things that are on offer but I visited places that I hadn't visited before, even in those most visited places. But 
in, in the Rocky Mountains section, we also included areas that are less traveled. One of them would be Castle Provincial Park, for example. It's one of the newer provincial parks in Alberta, and it's also just really gorgeous. It's outside of Waterton Lakes National Park and just a, a really beautiful area. If, if you've never done the Table Mountain hike, it's one of the ones that I highly recommend in Castle Provincial Park because uh, it's just uh, it the, the photos that you're going to get from the top of Table Mountain are absolutely stunning. I will say um, I did that hike with my daughter who's in her early 20s and uh, we didn't. Well, we were told that we hadn't done it before and we were told that it was about equivalent to Bear's Hump in Waterton. But it's not. It's much more difficult than Bear's Hump in Waterton. And we should have taken more water with us than I did. And we had one bottle of water. We shared it between us. And of course, she says that I drank it all. (laughs) And it's possible that she's right. I don't know. It was a really hot day. And you're going up the side of a mountain that does where where you're in a place where there's no shade, no tree cover, and it's a really steep hike, but worth it once you get to the top. Just absolutely gorgeous. We we love that one. Is that park quite a, like easily accessible from say Calgary or something like that? It is. It would probably be an hour and a half drive or something like that to to get there. It's not it's not too bad. I could be wrong on the uh, the distance there, but it's only a few hours at the most to to get there. Um, and it's just outside Waterton Lakes National Park. I, it's also you know Waterton Lakes National Park is one of the most biodiverse areas in Alberta, and it has so much plant life and wildlife there. But as you are probably aware, it suffered some really bad wildfires in recent years. Castle Provincial Park also has that same biodiversity, and I think it's wonderful that Alberta has chosen to protect this area, especially with the damage that was done to Waterton, because I believe some of that wildlife would have been displaced over into Castle. It's a beautiful area. Another one area that I think is lesser known uh, to people outside of Alberta particularly would be Crow's Nest Pass. Have you ever been to that part of Alberta? No, it's interesting because both Castle and Crowsnets Pass are places that I've just started hearing more and more about, but I haven't spent time in either of them. So this past summer, I also wrote a brand new guidebook for voters about the Canadian Rockies. And as we were writing it, we decided that we would include the Crowsnets Pass in the book and no other Canadian Rockies guidebook had included it in their guide, but it's such a beautiful area on the east slopes of the Canadian Rockies and just just gorgeous. Lots of interesting attractions, a, a huge, a lot of history about coal mining in that region that is is interesting. And of course, you know, um, also the location where there's been some major coal mining accidents and incidents. So it's it's got a fascinating history. There's some beautiful hikes in that region, lots of great activities, whether it's skiing in winter or hiking in summer. So I, I think it's another area that people don't know about. 
A third area that I, I think is an area that people don't know about is bighorn backcountry. They're starting to know about it. It's the region around Abraham Lake. And it's also just a gorgeous region with lots of wonderful hikes. Uh, one of my favorites is Siffler Falls. And what part of Alberta is that in? Is that is that um, like in the Rockies or is north, south? I don't know that one. It is It is in the Rockies. It's um, near Nordic, Alberta, if you know where that is. Yes, I've actually, you're right. I've started seeing more and more images on social media of that area. I really like the Allstones Lake hike. Um, I think that's uh, a really stellar hike with amazing views. I like the Siffler Falls hike in that region. Also, Siffler Falls is an easier hike and really great for families um, and beautiful falls that you can see and overlooks. Um, there's some great camping in that region. There's a couple of accommodations. It's certainly not very developed at all, um, but that's what makes it really special and unique. It sounds beautiful. Well, uh, this is great information because now I probably have uh, a bunch of locations to visit and keep me busy going forward in the summer. I also find it interesting you were talking about the Rockies and how even though you'd spent a lot of time visiting the areas of Banff and Lake Louise, you know, you were still finding new hikes and new areas to explore there. The, the thing I find interesting is even like when you're exploring those areas in different seasons, they look really different because I know I had decades ago done a lot of summer hiking in, in um, the areas around Banff and Lake Louise. And then maybe in the last 10 years, I've done more um, snowshoeing or ski touring or cross-country skiing. And some of those places that you hike in the summer, you can ski tour or snowshoe in the winter. And you just see it in a different way that's, of course, stunning and beautiful. But I, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons you can keep going back and back. Or even in the book, you also talked about, you know, great uh, hikes to do to see Larch, which I thought was like amazing. And for people who don't know Larch or like an evergreen tree, but the needles turn yellow in the fall and it's so so gorgeous and I thought that was a smart thing to include because it's true like people go out searching for larch because it's just so stunning to see that I love larch hikes in the fall it's just it's a short window um you and you have to catch it just at the right time and but there are so many beautiful larch hikes in Alberta the, you know, in Kananaskis, there's uh, many there. And then, of course, uh, in Lake Louise, the Larch Valley hike is what you would call the granddaddy of all of them. They're really, it, it, the word has gotten out. I mean, Instagram, the photos, as you said, it's beautiful. And those photos, I, I think, have been really recognized on Instagram and we're seeing more people going for larch hikes. So we included some tips on if you want to do a larch hike, here are some of the best places, you know, and here you need to go early and some, you know, just different tips on how to, how to be able to do a larch hike in the fall. But it is one of my favorite seasons for hiking. It's gorgeous. 
I'm glad you've mentioned that there's more than Larch Valley um, uh, for places to see Larch because um, I, I must say I think for me it's mostly been Larch Valley where I've seen it so oh, now I have more things to do in the fall find out these other locations where one can see Larch because I mean that is really a stunning thing to be all cold with the you know golden needles all around you I love that feeling I remember the first time I did a Larch hike, um, which was Larch Valley, and I took all my children. I have four children, so they're they're grown up, but off we went to do this hike. And the morning, it had been beautiful fall weather, no snow. And the morning we got up to go, of course it snowed. And I thought, oh no, my pictures are gonna be ruined with this snow. It's not gonna be the same, but I have to say, the snow actually made it even more photographically beautiful. It was it was gorgeous. We had a wonderful time. Often you do get a just a touch of you're at such a high elevation where the larch trees grow that you might encounter a little bit of snow along the way, but um, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's just a beautiful experience whether you do it in the snow or not in the snow. Actually, I've never done it in the snow, but I could imagine that would be like fabulous. I I could imagine that's beautiful because sometimes I've done hikes in the um, fall. And when you do get a little skiff of snow, again, it really changes how things look. And, you know, I, I don't know, you can just sit back and wonder at it, you know, like, oh, wow, this is like amazing. Yeah, I could imagine the larch there would be fantastic with snow. If you do that um, larch valley hike in the summertime, you'd walk right by the larch trees and just think they're, you know, evergreens like, well, they are evergreens, but think they're all green. It's hard to distinguish them from the other pine trees in the forest. But when you come in the fall, they're all golden and it's just gorgeous. It it surrounds you and... Um, Anyways, yeah, we we hope that uh, people will enjoy the list of larch hikes that we've included. And between Lee and myself, we've we've done them all. You're lucky to have done them all. So I guess um, Alberta, though, has more than just the Rockies for amazing nature spots. And um, in the book, I think you divided it up the different areas of Alberta and also, you know, nature highlights near the cities of Calgary and Edmonton. Um, And I think that's fun because obviously there's lots of people living in those big cities. So to know amazing spots that are close by is helpful. Um, So for all those different areas, are there a couple regions that really stick out for you? That's a tough call. Um, There there are so many things to love about each of the regions that we highlighted. We, of course, the Rocky Mountains, we is, you know, it's still a spot that I love. And I think there's something about when you go there, there's, it's like it heals your soul. But I also think that there's that same kind of, feeling when you visit other parts. Um, One of the areas is Southern Alberta. And one of my favorite areas personally in Southern Alberta is a place called Riding on Stone Provincial Park. Have you ever been there perchance? No, no, no. And I haven't heard of it either. Yeah, it's in the far southern corner of Alberta. And it's a spot that 
is considered uh, sacred to Blackfoot people, but it contains the largest collection of petroglyphs and um, drawings on the North American plains. Um, so there's, it also has these incredible hoodoos and there's a river that flows, uh, the Milk River flows right through it and you can ride a canoe through there. And I don't know, there's something, there's a feeling about that place. And as I spoke about the feeling that you get in the Canadian Rockies, when you go to this place, you get that feeling too. Um, the Blackfoot believe that it's home to powerful spirits. And it was the place where they would send their warriors when they were doing vision quests. To go there and take a tour with um, a park uh, person who is indigenous and can guide you through there is, it's an experience of a lifetime. I, I love it there. It's one of the ones that we included in the book. Um, another spot that we included in the second edition that wasn't in the first is the Okotoks Erratic. Do you, are you familiar with that? No, I haven't. I haven't been there either. So an erratic is a, a giant rock, a boulder that has been transported by glaciers across the prairies. You know what I mean? Well, or maybe deposited as the glaciers receded, you know, um, this particular giant rock, which actually its name, Oak, the name Okotoks means big rock, you know, um, yeah. So and, and big rock brewery is uh, named uh after the big rock. So it, it is something to see. It's this giant boulder that sits in the middle of the prairies in a place where it doesn't appear to belong. And it was transported all the way. It originally came from rocks in Jasper National Park. And there it sits. And I, again, indigenous people believe it to be a sacred site. And uh, there are many legends that are associated with the rock and how it came to be, but it is, it is something worth seeing. Um, there's a, a number of interpretive signs around it, a walking path that you can take, and um, the science behind it is fascinating. And also the indigenous history of this rock is, is interesting. So I, I like that one as well. I, I think some of the sites in Northern Alberta are also um, we we called Northern Alberta anything north of Edmonton. And if you want to be technically correct, um, the geographic center of Alberta is north of Edmonton. But, you know, most of the people in Alberta would consider anything north of Alberta to be Northern Alberta. So I, Slave Lake Provincial Park is a wonderful park that's about, I believe, four hours north of, of Edmonton. It's one of the largest uh, lakes in, in Alberta, probably one of the largest lakes in Canada as well, not, like, not including the Great Lakes or anything, but it's, it's an enormous lake with amazing beaches. Alberta actually has beaches. We may be landlocked. Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are landlocked, but we do have some gorgeous sand beaches there. So it's beautiful. It's also um, a place where it's been called the bird nursery of North America because uh, the boreal forest that surrounds it is where a lot of the birds come and uh, have their young and then they fly away in the in the fall. So you can learn a lot about birds at uh, Slave Lake Provincial Park. It's, it's a beautiful spot to be. 
Well, I, I feel like there's so many things I've never even heard of, like I'm not even aware of, that sound really fantastic. I think I have a few years now of uh, holidays and uh, visiting that I'll need to do. The other sections of the book I really loved where you divided up, you know, some really amazing backcountry lodges or, as you mentioned before, backpacking trails. I mean, I think that's really a fun thing to set out for people. I know kind of one of my favorite places in the world is Skokie Lodge. Um, when my kids were little, I used to go there with them in the summer and uh, it was always such an amazing experience. Um, but more recently, it's one of those places I love to go in the winter, like you feel so far away, even though it's not that far, you know, but you feel so far away and so remote and you're toasty and warm inside with the fire crackling and big snow drifts all around and I know that's a place that we can just go to over and over again. I think there's lots of places like that because you've mentioned several different lodges in your book. If you like an element of luxury, um, which, okay, let's face it, who doesn't? Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least I do. I, I, there's usually really good food at those lodges too. Yes, exactly. You've got a, a soft bed to sleep in at night. And then if you've made your way into the back country, um, you can use those lodges as a base to take so many other, other amazing hikes. And I remember the first time I stayed in a back country lodge, we would, you know, in the evening, you'd you'd gather for dinner and other people that were staying in the lodges, we'd all chat about our day. And somebody that was sitting across the table from me had said, I ran into some backpackers out on the trail today, and I almost felt guilty telling them about what we were having for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, isn't it? They were having their little dehydrated, you know, there they were in their tent with their little dehydrated meal. And, you know, um, but you can also experience the backcountry in this way. Some of them you hike into, some of them you ski into, or in some cases you fly into those backcountry yeah, lodges. Yeah, helicopters, yeah. Yeah, but once you're in there, then it's it's easier to take, um, to get to these really remote places where you might be the only person that's out there in nature and and that's a special experience to be had without having to suffer through um dehydrated meals <laughs> yeah definitely better food back there in addition the backcountry there's a lot of great backpacking in alberta as well i know you know the skyline trail near in jasper is one of those epic backpacks so beautiful hard to get a place on these days because um, of reservations. Um, I know last summer I went to Baker Lake as a backpack for the first time and that's close to Lake Louise and up near Skokie Lodge. Uh, we did that as part of a hike from you know in the valley behind Lake Louise down to Banff and I'd never really been to Baker Lake and it was really stunning. Again, another place that I think is hard to get a reservation at these days. Yeah, it's true. Um, but if you can get a reservation in these places, it's it's worth it. Um, 
it's, you know, some of these hikes are an experience of a lifetime. You know, if you can get into the Tonquin Valley, which is also hard to get into in, in Jasper National Park, it's, um, there's, there's a population of caribou in there that you might have a chance to glimpse. There's some other species that are really rare that you might not get to see in other parts of the Canadian Rockies. So, um, yeah, the, the backpacking is also an amazing experience. I, I haven't done this. Lee got to do the Skyline Trail um, <laughs> for the book, but uh, so I haven't done it yet. But I really it's it's been on my list forever. And you're right. It is very hard to get a reservation. But if you're on there on the first day putting in your application, that's that's your best shot. Yeah, some of those um, backpacks in the National Park where you have to reserve a spot are just so hard to get, especially uh, with COVID, you know, because all people were really exploring the outdoors and uh, really taking advantage of those opportunities. It'll be interesting to see if it continues to be so tough to uh, get a reservation because there's so many places I'd love to go again. Me too. I, I think we're really um, fortunate in Canada to have the amazing natural beauty that we have just right on our doorstep. Um, people travel from all over the world to see what we have. And um, if, if there's something good that came of the pandemic, perhaps it was a greater appreciation for the, the beauty that is in our own backyard. Yeah. Good point. Good point. You know, Debbie, I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours and just pick your brain about all these amazing places that I'm not aware of that I just have to see. I'm just so thankful that I've had the chance to talk to you about this. It's been really great. And now I have more things to do in my upcoming summers to keep me busy exploring. Thank you. It's my pleasure to talk about it. Uh, Writing this book was uh, a wonderful experience and getting to the places that I hadn't visited before in order to photograph them for the book and to um, experience them was a a chance of a lifetime. So I I sincerely hope that uh, those who read the book will find a new place to love and to explore. And thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, they will, because you just live so many places I haven't heard of, and the photography is stunning. Like, it really makes me want to go see these places with my own eyes. So, you know, it's a great job. Um, if you want to um, get in touch with Debbie, um, probably the best place to start would be at her blog, which is www.wanderwoman.ca. Um she has blogs, most of them by her, but many by other people as well. Her most recent blog, she was telling me uh, before we got started with the podcast, was a review of the new airline, Lynx Airways, and how she learned about the baptism of an airplane, 
which she had not been aware of, nor was I, until she took the first inaugural flight. So you're going to have to read that article on the blog. Um, the book is due to come out in June, and in the show notes, we will link not only Debbie's blog, but we'll um, link... Um, uh, uh, where you can purchase the book if you're interested in picking it up. Um, so take a look in the show notes if you want to see this really beautiful and informative book. Uh, thanks again, Dewey. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. If you liked it, why not give us a review? Better yet, subscribe and get inspired again and again. Also, if you want to find your own adventures, why not check out 10adventures.com where you can use our free resources to plan your own trip or book a tour in over 60 countries and make your own epic memories on your next adventure. Adventure.